When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great. Why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. This fantastic. It's going to be a bit of a stretch, but what do you call a cow that doesn't give milk? I don't know. An utter failure. Okay. And we're not talking okay. about chocolate milk today, but we are talking about YooHoo, because I found <laughs> out about YooHoo in this song. We're doing uh, oh, God. Found Out About You. Oh. Who. A little bit of a stretch. Not my best one, but no, let's wrap. I, see, here's where I differ with you on that. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Oh, uh, thank you. I, I mean, because you because now people are singing it. Wherever I they found are. Found out about you. you right? They missed a marketing genius. Oh, really? Moment. The crossover that could Goodness have gracious. been. When you think Jen Blossoms, do you think you who? You should. You should. And you don't, but you should. They should, but they you, missed you it. who missed it. Yeah. Play a little bit of the song we're talking about today. Heck, just start with the chorus. No, anyway, <laughs> uh, this is. This tell is. Them. Found out about you by Jen Blossoms. Found Out About You by Jen Blossoms from the 1992 album New Miserable Experience, written by Doug Hopkins. It went to number 25 on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the U.S. Alternative Airplay chart, number five on the U.S. Mainstream Rock chart, and number six on the U.S. Mainstream Top 40. I think we've talked about this before with Jen Blossoms, where there was a period of about two years, three years, at least, at least two, where Gin Blossoms was just completely inescapable. Yeah. You know, you use the word like, like ubiquitous. They were all over the place. And um, and not just this song. One of the hardest parts yeah. of this episode was like, which one did we do? And we polled you guys. And yes. this is the one that we landed That's right. on. We actually polled our listeners, and you guys actually wanted hey jealousy i believe it was close it was close but i think you guys actually selected hey jealousy and at the very last minute we went no 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 let's do found out about you but it was follow you down led the way out the gates so it was like there it was you could go any direction yeah they the stretch that they had between this album new miserable experience 
um, and its follow-up, um, Congratulations, I'm Sorry, and then they also had a huge song on the Empire Records soundtrack that sort of stood Til alone. Till I hear it from you. Til, yeah, till uh, I hear it. Great I mean, song. Basically anything with the word you in it, till I hear it from you, yeah. follow you down, yeah. found, out found out about, about you. you. Yeah, Just yeah. throw some yous and oh, gin blossoms and yeah. you're set. All the missing you who revenue. <laughs> oh, they could all be. They could have done till I hear it from you who. Yeah. Follow you who down. Yeah, I mean, come on. So, somebody call us. Let's broker this thing. Let's make it happen. Y'all give us 5%, That's okay, right. and let's just make this thing happen, let's do it. and we can all we can all retire to our you who yachts. I would say on my gas station question, I'd be like, I'd pick up a Three Musketeers bar and drink and a you who. Absolutely. I'll, I'll sell out. Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's make this happen. Seriously. Robin Wilson, uh, call us. Mr. You who, Mr. Who, please call <laughs> us, Okay. Um, by the way, at the end of the episode, we're going to be speaking with Robin Wilson, Goodness the voice gracious. that you know from the Gin Blossoms, uh, lead singer of the Gin Blossoms and writer of many of their uh, fantastic hits. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about playing tambourine and more. Love, All kinds of stuff. Love it. Seriously. Uh, His we, home studio. We are going to be talking to him about playing tambourine, though. For real. Yeah. yeah, it matters. Fender acoustic guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, th- love this. 90s madness is just continuing it's on. It's wrapping strong. up. This is the last week. So yeah. this is a, this is going out with a bang. Been incredible. Been incredible. Um, a few listening notes for me on this. The opening guitars to the song, I'm going to go back, circle back here one more time to the opening guitars. It starts, if you listen on headphones, okay, you get uh, an, a, 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 like a... Um, it's clean. Yeah, it's it's clean, and you get one guitar fully panned left and another fully panned right. The left side comes in first. I had to look at my headphones because like, <laughs> so I have them on backwards. I need to listen. Oh, well. So the left side comes in first, and then the right hand joins, and, and they complement each other so well, it's like mesmerizing mm-hmm. um, because they become this thing where it's almost hard to track what the individual guitars are doing. It just becomes this one thing that's happening, and it's not that they're playing the same thing. They're playing very different things. Um, but they complement each other so well that it's just mesmerizing. Take a listen. And then, of course, you got an acoustic guitar that's kind of doing the same thing that the guitar on the right side is doing. But it, it's they, they each have this one riff that they're just playing over and over and over. But it makes it sound like they're doing a lot more. Um, and it's just really... Magical. I just, I just love the sound of those guitars. Um, Let's talk about the term jangle pop. Let's do it. You come across, uh, you come across that terminology in your research. Go ahead. So, uh, jangle pop um, is this sort of um, pop rock sound that's characterized by clean. um, I think of like a Rickenbacker guitar. Okay. Um, You know, like the uh, if you've ever seen like the really old uh, Beatles clips, those those guitars, kind of weird looking guitars, um, and a lot of times twelve string guitars, mm-hmm. right? Um, stuff with a lot of like mid range and treble, really chimey guitars playing arpeggios. Uh, I think of like the Birds and um, you know the of course the Beatles um, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, like if you think of um, California Dreamin'. Not, oh, not California yeah. Dreams, the show, the song California Dreamin'. Uh, stuff like that, right? That's good. Um, gets sort of put in this category of jangle pop. Okay. And uh, I remember when we talked to Clark Datchler about, from uh, Johnny Meets Jazz about these little sh- – Johnny sub- hates jazz. What did I say? Johnny, Johnny Meets Jazz. Meets Jazz. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still on Boy Meets Girl from, from <laughs> be- before. Yes, when we, when we talked to Clark Datchler of Johnny Hates Jazz – um, that he he didn't like this sort of subcategorization of music. He he said he thought it was BS. Um, but it is helpful in sort of 
um, putting some things together. You know what I mean? That you go, oh, I really like this kind of music. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's it's not to um, cheapen anything. Yeah, it's not think. a. It's I don't think it's meant derogatory. No, it's not. But it just groups it together. I yeah, think what you're saying. And so the, you can go, oh yes, okay. Jangle pop makes sense to me, and I really like that. So I'm going to seek out some more of it. You know what I mean? Or, Seems to me like a sweeter version of Jiffy Pop. <laughs> yes. And so, and and then you're like, I'm going okay, I'm going to make my, you know, I'm going to make a Jangle Pop playlist. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, great. When you're just in that mood. Um. W- by the way, and I'll get to this a little bit later, but but researching this episode helped connect some dots for me as far as a musical style that I really dig that I didn't had not connected as a musical. It's not a subgenre, but it's a it's a um, a thing that this helped me connect. I'm going to talk about it in a little later. Okay. Um, some more listening notes from me. The, the masterful uh, production of where they put harmonies at the ends of the lines, you know, on the summer, in case you don't recall, and you get the recall at the end of each line. Yeah. I was yours and you were mine. Forget it all. You get the little harmonies at the end of each line. Um, I just love that. And on the uh, what's the second verse? And that's the strength um, of having two good vocalists because Jesse, that does the harmony parts, used to be the lead vocalist. Yeah. And Gin Blossoms before they brought in Robin. Yeah. So. Um. And uh. So and then the second verse has got one. Uh, it's only in my breathe head, and that one's really nice too. A little a little production thing there to wait on that note and anticipate. You know, build some anticipation there. I love that. Uh, another thing that I really love about not just this song, but this whole album is the snare. Okay. I know that's like pretty granular. No, that's, but it's got a great pop. Okay. And, a, and the tone, I'm not sure what Philip Rhodes was playing at the time, but I love the sound. Uh, a 1996 blurb in musician magazine said he was on a DW kit with a deep solid maple snare with a power stroke three head. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what he's playing here, but at the same time period, uh, it's, it, it sounds about right to me. Um, it also you don't said hear he was, power stroke heads much. It's normally Evans or Remo, right? Well, okay. Or so Remo, it's, uh, is it a, sub, uh, yes, it's uh, a Remo power stroke. Okay. Three thank you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry. Uh, I think it's Remo that makes the power stroke. I'm almost positive. Um, it also said he was playing three B sticks at the time, which is a big fat that's, stick. Yeah. I mean, that's almost like, um, marching band snare size <laughs> yeah. stick. That's a, that's a, that's a big fat dude. Um, stick wise. Um, anyway, the bass on the chorus, I can't wait to talk about this. Okay. The bass on the chorus. Um, let's talk a little theory here. Okay? okay. This is not necessarily, it sounds simple enough, this song, but the bass is doing something that I've literally never heard another song do. Okay. And that's not something you say every day, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the chorus here and I want to talk about the bass guitar. That snare pop. Bass is pretty heavy in the mix, too. Yeah. It's really driving the pulse. Okay, listen here. Okay. So it's just playing the one? It's playing, at first, it's playing the one. So our chord structure is going four, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Four, but it's four over one. One, five, four. Mm-hmm. One, five, four. The bass is playing one, one, one two, one. So it's you're literally getting so the five over two. Yes, a five over two chord in the middle of the chorus. So you're getting a. It's weird because you want your chorus to resolve, mm-hmm. and it it does. The middle is confused. It's like. 
tension. Yeah, you get you get a rev, a resolution on the chord, the second chord, right before I've heard about. Right, you get that chord, mm-hmm. but the others they don't resolve, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that is intentional. Because of, um, you know, if it's supposed to sound a little unsettled because of the lyric, make it fit, you know what I mean? But something else it does there is it goes into a more driving rhythm. So everything else, the bass is going boom, 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 right? We get to the chorus and it starts going boom, 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 boom. And it gives it this real momentum with, and also you got the tambourine coming in there. That's good. And it just really has this. Um, this this thrust that happens with the chorus. So what you're really getting there on the chorus is instead of four one five, you're getting four over one, then a one, then a five, five over two. two. It's wild. I've never heard that in my life. Um, but it's really gives it a unique sound and a unique moment. Play it again so we can yeah, hear it. Let's play it one more time. Now that you know the structure, guys. So weird. That's so weird, but really unique, and it and it adds to you know sort of the mystique of the song. And and I think it's that that ultimately made me want to do this song. That makes because sense. I wanted to talk talk about, about it. That's great because Good. it's something I've literally never heard before. Good call, Bill Lean. Yeah, how about it, Bill? Um, man. Okay, you're gonna love this. No, I think you're gonna hate this. Actually. So wait a minute. Does it ever? It never really hits the one it does. in the middle. Okay, but it does. In the fit. middle, that's right. In so the middle it's of it. four over one. Okay. One. Okay. Five over two. But it but not in a way that makes you even at the very last chord of the song, it resolves to the four, right? Boom It lands on okay, the four. Yeah. Um so it so doesn't feel like it ever hits the one. You don't ever it's a get throwaway one. Emotionally that like full resolution. That's good. Um I do want to play you a clip, and we'll see. We'll see. You'll think this is a joke, okay? Um, Maybe. I don't know. This is from the band's uh, original first album called Dusted. Okay. Okay? And as I understand it, their first album was recorded both hurriedly, like they recorded it quickly. I think they recorded the whole thing in a day. Okay. They just went in studio, played their live set, and left. Okay? Um, (laughs) And... So it was recorded in a hurry, but it's also recorded fast. All it's the too- songs are fast. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to play you a clip of this same song, but from a couple years prior. Well, yeah, I mean, that's Journey flying through their set. Yeah. Same concept. Yeah. It's, I had to check. Did you check the BPM on it? I, no, I didn't check the BPM. I should. We'll do that in our follow up on Patreon. Goodness gracious, it's, it's flying. So, I had to check because this is on YouTube. I had to check my settings to make sure I wasn't watching it like 1.25 or 1.5 speed. Goodness Let's gracious. get to the chorus. Here's the chorus. It sounds like a different song. Yeah. Because it makes you do different things with your... It does. It almost sounds like a different genre. Uh-huh. It almost sounds new wave. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know they, they started in the 80s, um, but it, it almost sound, it almost gets into that, like, um, um, 
what's her name? Um, the B-52s rock lobster <laughs> territory. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It almost feels new wave like that. That's funny. Uh, really weird. Just change one thing, the tempo, and that's it. Yeah. And you know what, kids? That's why you get yourselves a producer. Uh-huh. Like, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I realized they, they were like doing what they could and blah, 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 blah. But get somebody in the room who goes, let's see what happens if we slow let's this down. Let's calm down just a little bit. bit. I know you guys are excited. Yeah. Let's bring it back just and, a And bit. they've said later, you know, Robin said, you know, we were all hyped up. Yeah. We didn't, you know, we just... We, we knew we had a day to get this done. We just went in and did everything and, and didn't think much about it. Yeah. Um, but Good job, John Hampton, producer. Yeah, that's uh, really, really jarring. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the album? Sure. Let's talk a little bit about New Miserable Experience. Recorded at Ardent Studios in Memphis, home of such iconic records as Isaac Hayes' Hot Buttered Soul, Sam and Dave's Soul Men, Led Zeppelin Three, James Taylor's Mudslide Slim, uh, Joe Cocker, Joe Walsh, um, Green by REM, uh, tons of others. And More recently, frequented by acts like Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors and Rick Ross. So, like, this is a- pick your genre; it's everywhere. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've been doing it all. Uh, that's um, uh, and we all talk with Robin about the two different album covers. So, yeah. um, so you get to hear us talk about that, and we mean covers like pictures on the front of the album, not that's cover right. versions. And, and ironically, this album itself was recorded twice. Essentially, um, the the one that we know and that we've heard is the second recording of New Miserable Experience. It had been recorded once already in L.A., and uh, I believe Robin Wilson described it as a $100,000 disaster um, <laughs> that they just didn't use those sessions from. Um, so that's not even counting the recordings I just played you, which were from Dusted, which also include a few of these songs. Um, but they they <clears throat> took a shot at it in L.A. It didn't work. So they came to Memphis at Arden Studios, and it and there is where it clicked, and there's where everything gelled. Um, it must be nice. I don't think we really live in a world now it, with it, with the recording industry the way it is now where that would probably happen. Do you? Where where you would do the whole thing twice? Yeah, where they would go, we sunk a hundred grand into this. No way, they'd take tracks and tweak them. They would just make it work, yeah. right? They would do. They, we'll time stretch this, and we'll you know we'll yeah we'll just overproduce. They'll end up putting something that is too shiny and too shimmery and too overproduced. But we, they redo the vocals and stuff like that, yeah. but little pieces here and there. Yeah, I'm not sure that they would go, you know what, let's just give let's this over. whole thing a second shot, because yeah, I don't no. think we got it that time. Uh, that's pretty impressive uh, to, to be in an era where that was possible. And that talks about just how the music industry was at that time. It's completely different with it what they sunk into. Now, really I mean, it's you can do so much so to, much simpler and yes, cheaper. And, to even have to have a $100,000 budget for an album right now is, is uh, unthinkable, you know what I mean, for most artists, um, you know. So that's, I just think that's really great that they did that. And the, you know, I I guess the risk was high, but they, the reward was great and they got it. They Mm -hmm. nailed it. Um, so it's this iconic album that is one of the top albums of the Mm nineties, um, you know, and, and has them still playing and recognized and not, you know, I, I read a thing where Robin Wilson was talking about how happy it makes him that they're not sort of regarded as a joke. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? That a lot of the bands from that time who, sort of popped in um now get, get looked back on with some level of derision um but that they've been able to sort of be above that for whatever reason yeah. but you know p- part of that is because they took the time and care to go i don't think this first recording is it let's try again you know that's so so props to the record company and to, to and that's props to them too because most of the time people are passionate about what they've made and they're really like that's the best i've got like how yeah. is it but they knew that they had something deeper so yeah. that's good yeah yeah i I'm, think of a i think of ford probe when i like the car the ford probe when i hear this album 
I feel like everybody that I knew at the time of this was driving a Ford Probe. Really? Yep. I had my friend Peter drove a Ford Probe. My friend John drove a Ford Probe. My friend Joel drove a Ford Probe. Wow. Devin, and now uh-huh. Wallace, formerly him, drove a Ford Probe. Everybody at the time of this album had a Ford Probe. Okay, that's weird. That must be an Athens thing. Maybe it was. I couldn't even tell you what a Ford Probe is. Okay. I don't remember Y'all that out there, tell us if I'm crazy. If that's just a McMinn County thing where everybody had a Ford Probe. That's where the Ford plant was and they made the probe Man, I don't know. Everybody had it. everybody in town got a huge discount. All of my friends, the year of this album, I see myself... I hear this album in a Ford Probe. That's so funny. So that's what I'm listening to. I always, songs like this that were everywhere, for whatever reason, I always see myself on a school bus. Okay. Because I just remember hearing, you know, they would just play the radio on mm-hmm. the school bus. And, and but this, I, this, like we said, this song was inescapable. It didn't matter where you were. If you were in Walgreens or, you know, at the mall, um, at the, you know, whatever, the arcade, the shoe store, it, Sears, it was, this was, this <laughs> yeah. was playing yeah. everywhere. That's good. Um, now, the sad story of New Miserable Experience, and we won't keep it here long, but it's it's an important piece of the story, because a name that we have not mentioned since the very beginning of this episode is Doug Hopkins. Um, and the sad story of New Miserable Experience, and indeed of Gin Blossoms as a whole, is the tragic plight of original lead guitarist uh, Doug Hopkins, who wrote this song. As a matter of fact, Hopkins wrote several of the hits you know Gin Blossoms for, and obviously was a big creative force early on. Um, and, uh, but he struggled with mental health issues and alcoholism and, uh, when it made him almost non-functional in the band, um, he apparently didn't even record most of his own lead parts on, on the album. Uh, and one solo of his that does remain from him was, uh, from an, like an early session scratch take that they were just able to like salvage and put in. Um, the band saw the growing problem and his like unwillingness or inability to make necessary changes and they let him go before the record released. So uh, fearing that that continuing any further with him would make them a liability to the label. Then it gets really sad because, of course, a little way down the road, his songs take off and put the band on the map without him, and he eventually takes his own life. Um, and Robin Wilson told the story on VH1 about the band traveling back to Arizona and Doug like attacking him as he came out of a bathroom at a club, getting dragged out. He just got really depressed and bitter um, and it, you know, it took him over poor, you know, the poor guy, like, and we're, a, we're a positive podcast. We always, uh, but this is yeah, part of the story like, that yeah. you have to, that you have to talk about you when you talk about this. So let's do this. Let's meet the band. Let's play yeah. the jingle. Let's meet the band. I'll bring talk it, a little bit about Doug and then let's bring it back up. Let's do it. Yeah. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band that played on New Miserable Experience. Again, this can be questionable based on who actually is credited with playing. I know Rob talked a little bit about Doug. Um, credited for performance and writing. Graduated at 85 with a degree in sociology from Arizona State. Um, he mentioned uh, December of 93. In 2000, uh, Ethan Hawke was going to star in a biopic about him, which I thought would have been really, really uh, It never finalized, but I would like to see Ethan oh, Hawke that been in, the Doug Hopkins, in the Doug Hopkins story. Um, on guitars, mandolin, originally the lead singer, but handed the reins to Doug, uh, Jesse Valenzuela. Um, he does sing the lead on Cheatin', another song on here. Yeah, so. that's the last track, mm-hmm. and it's just straight country. It is. Like it's, you know, the whole album is, is this pop, three minutes pop rock, but 25 seconds of pure country. Cheatin' is just that's good. country's a good. Good call on that, Rob. Uh, on bass, Rob talked about the magnificence of what he does there. Bill Lean uh, was in a band called The Psalms, which, neat story about The Psalms, they filled in for R.E.M. at a gig that opened for Billy Idol. 
So REM was supposed to open for Billy Idol, okay. and they couldn't, and Bill Lean's band filled in. That's cool. And then following then, he started the Gin Blossoms with Doug. Um, on percussion and drums, um, Philip Rhodes, also associated with some other bands, and I, I just really like the name of some of these. Gas Giants, Big Finish, one of my favorite names of a band ever, Prehab. I think that's so oh, cool. wow. I think that's a creative name. Yeah. So, Philip Rhodes on drums. Producer, we talked about a little bit, John Hampton. We don't always talk about the producers, but I got to because this guy's two Grammys that he has. One of them is for Jimmy Vaughn. Oh. Do you get the blues? Wow. So, any Jimmy Vaughn reference that we have, let's give that guy's dues. Yeah. Stevie Ray Braun's brother. Yeah. Uh, but Jimmy, Jimmy Vaughn. That's right. Uh, and White Stripes, uh, Get Behind Me, Satan. He also okay. produced uh, replacement stuff and raconteur stuff, so obviously did a lot with Jack White. Yeah. Um, so, John Hampton as a producer, and Rob talked about uh, the magnificence of what he provides from a from a production standpoint yeah, on that. Um, that's very cool. Lead vocals, acoustic guitar, uh, your friend and mine, great dude, uh, Robin Wilson. Robin Wilson. I think you guys are going to enjoy um, hanging out with him. His, whose bio, by the way, on, on the Gin Blossoms website says, Robin enjoys describing himself, is like really smart, and super good at music, art, and science. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's the entirety of his bio on the Gin Blossoms site. That's I love great. it. That's um, great. Before we, I do have a game, so don't forget we got to stump the genius. So okay, keep going. All right, I just while we're on Robin Wilson, I, I want to say a couple quotes from him, and and one other thing that I'm I'm glad you said something about earlier uh, on the name and the band's sort of proclivity for writing upbeat melodies about sad lives. Robin Wilson said, "We were always about that. The name of the band says it all. Uh, it sounds really happy, but it represents something dark." Oh, that's and good. So, uh, and a, a gin blossom. For those of you who don't know what that is, if you've ever seen pictures of like, um, like uh, wasn't W. C. Field or um, what's his name, um, <laughs> Winston Churchill? I could not think of Winston Churchill, but like it's 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 a condition in which um, basically people who drink a lot. Um, they have like blood vessels that explode or something on their nose and they call it a gin blossom. It's, it's a, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a revelation, um, or a, a giveaway that you have been heavy on the sauce. Um, and, uh, and so, but it sounds nice. It's a gin blossom. No, it's, it sounds, you know, some kind of flower, nice thing. Um, but it's really, you know, represents something that you probably don't want to be associated with. Um, and, uh, so, and a lot of their music is that way. It's catchy. It's super pop. And it sounds like, hey, we're having a good time, blah, 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 blah. But it's about but it's like downer just stuff. sad. I know. You know, just sadness. Um, and uh, and so he, he said he thinks that's perfect. Also, you mentioned uh, Ethan Hawke uh-huh. as, as, uh, as a Doug Hopkins, um, you know, in a Doug Hopkins biopic, potentially. I wrote down in my notes, if they made a movie about the Gin Blossoms, uh, excuse me, Gin Blossoms, not no V, um, if they made a Gin Blossoms movie, I think Robin Wilson would be played by Andrew Scott, and that makes me really happy. Have you, how have how you would seen, I know him? Um, Sherlock, he's the guy who plays Moriarty on Sherlock. If you know him from anything, that's probably what you know him from. Uh, fantastic actor. I think they share a certain, a certain okay. quality. And I'll look him up. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, Andrew Scott. He's great. Um, okay, let's, let's play the game. I got one more thing, and then, and then we'll kick it to Robin Williams. All right, let's play Stop the Genius. Stop the Genius. Stop the Genius. Stop the Genius. I said your part. All right, we're gonna play Stump the Genius. Uh, different iteration. Rob has no clue what's coming. Um, let's do the thirty second thing again. Okay. Uh, so go ahead and get a timer. We're gonna play Name That Robin. 
<laughs> so I'm going to name uh, different things to try to get you to get these five Robins. Let's do 25 seconds. 25 Let's get aggressive. seconds. Okay. I think we can get these five in five, five seconds each. Okay. Um, we'll count it down, and then we're going to play Name That Robin. Y'all feel free to, uh, to play along at home. All right. Um, and see how well you do. All right. See if you can get them all in 25 seconds. I'll try to get through them. Tell me when. I'm Ready? Gonna, yep. Count me down. You count down, and okay. I'll start. All right. Three, two, one. Little John, Nottingham, Kevin uh, Robin Costner, Hood. Robin Hood, Patch Adams, Hook, Robin Mrs. Will- Williams. Robin Williams. Plays Buttercup and the Princess Bride. Moneyball. Robin Pin. Robin Wright Pin. Robin Wright Pin. Okay. Third baseman for the White Sox. Robin Man- Yount. No, managed. Oh, I'm sorry. Got beat up by Nolan Robin Ryan. Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura. Female sportscaster, ESPN. Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts. Boom. Oh, done. Wow. Amazing. How yeah. quick was that? I, you know what? I was spending the whole time. We had five seconds left. We did that That's in 20. awesome. Uh, that was good. I, I spent the whole time waiting on you to give me Batman's sidekick. I know. That, I just thought. Just the, there's going to be one that's just Robin. Yeah, I does, thought. Does Robin have a last name? Batman sidekick? No. I wouldn't think so. Now, what's his character's spoiler name? Spoiler alert here, but if you've seen the Dark Knight trilogy, the at the very end of the third movie, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is revealed to have the name Robin Blake. Uh-huh. Um, and I won't... Keep it, if you keep know, it out you there. know. I don't want to keep I it mean, out there. Rob is all like, things Batman. The movie is a... like 13 years old at this point, so it's that's if right. you haven't seen it, but Robin Blake. Go check it out. Yeah. There you go. Guys, good job. Uh, name that Robin. Thanks Stuff so the genius. Name well that done. Robin. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Hope you guys have enjoyed 90s month. Oh, I have. Man, this, this has, has been, been fun. So fun. An oasis, a paradise of, of our 90s nostalgia. Oh, that's what we missed was Oasis. Next time. Oh, man. Next time we'll get one of the Gallagher's. You know what? I remember we didn't do it because you were like, um, you were like, dude, we've got to do Oasis. And uh, I said, maybe. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Come on. That was, that was off the top that, of that the good. dome. That was, that was pretty solid. That was pretty good. That was a, was a fantastic throw in there in the middle. <laughs> well done. Uh, okay. I want to mention a, a couple of things before we kick it to our interview with Robin Wilson. Um, I want to I talk about my discovery, my realization okay. of the Tempe, Arizona music scene of the early 90s and mid-90s. Um, and I'm going to try and say, I, I noticed when, and I've heard this before, when, when Robin says it, he says Tim P, right? Oh, the, the, okay. The, 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 the P is emphasized, yeah. okay? Like JP. Um, so I'm going to try and not say Tim P. I'm going to try and say Tim P. Okay. Okay, but I'm going to fail. So everybody from Tim P who is listening. Don't get mad. Just please don't get mad at me. I'm from Tennessee. I'm doing the best I can. That's right. right. We have Maryville, but we say Merville. Merville, yeah. So if, yeah you, exactly. if you know, you know. That's right. My family, a lot of my family, family is from a town called Whitwell. Um, but uh, you don't say it, Whitwell. Whitwell. It's Whitwell. Yeah, Whitwell. It's Whitwell. Uh, okay, so I'm doing my best to say Tim P. Uh, th- those of us here in Nashville, it's Demunbrian, but if you say Demon Bruin, Demon Bruin, you know you're not from around these parts. <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. So giving myself away as a non-Arizonian here. <laughs> um, so researching this episode made me make a connection I previously hadn't. Um, but that's the connection between Gin Blossoms and two of my all-time favorite bands who are kind of under the radar, okay? okay? And that would be The Refreshments okay. yeah. and The Meat Puppets. Okay, yeah, you've talked to yeah, okay? them. Um, I, I didn't realize that they both came from the same area, and, and all of them came from the same area. But once I saw their names connected, it made total sense to me. Um, the Meat Puppets, if you know them... Probably if you know them, you're just a Meat Puppets fan. But they had a moment on MTV where they had a song called We Don't Exist. Is that the one that they that got some radio play? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think it was We Don't Exist. And it, it was like a video with like a, a kind of a cowboy shootout thing. You may also remember them from the Nirvana Unplugged album where they came out and guested on a couple songs. They did a um, um, 
they did a, a couple songs there and and Kurt Cobain actually says these are the meat puppets. Um and so they get sort of introduced there. But they their album Too High to Die uh is one of my favorite like sort of um under the radar, you know, things. And they had several albums that I listened to and loved, but Too High to Die to me is a masterpiece in its own way. It's very different and it's and it's whatever. Um, but, uh, anyway, and the refreshments were a, like a blip on the MTV radar as well. They, they had a song called banditos. Um, and it's, it's give your ID card to the border guard. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, it's got, if you, if you know it from one line, it's everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people. Okay. And it's anyway, great album called fizzy, fuzzy, big and buzzy. Uh, and they had a follow up the bottle and fresh horses, then they broke up, and Roger Klein, the lead singer, continued on uh, with a new formation called Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, and they're still going today. Um, but all from that Tempe, Arizona um, underground—not underground, I guess—that became the overground, and it sort of became like a um, "this is going to be the next rock birthing place." You know, it was going to be Tempe, Arizona. Um, and so, um, and there was a refreshments lyric that I never understood that said. Uh, we could all wear ripped up clothes and pretend that we were dead hot workshop. And I never understood what that dead hot workshop I don't get. Um, but that's a reference to another uh, Tempe era oh, band. Uh, uh, area sure. band called dead hot workshop. And so one day uh, just sit and make a playlist of the following bands and listen to all for an entire day. Gin blossoms, refreshments, meat puppets, dead hot workshop, the pistoleros, Roger Klein and the peacemakers. Okay. They really had a moment as sort of the uh, they were like the Seattle of the Southwest. Okay, you know what I mean, uh, where major labels just started plucking these bands up and giving them a shot, and the music is really, really, really enjoyable. And there's some just sort of commonalities between them all that you'll just hear. You kind of hear the scene come out when That's you like when you that. put them all together. Um, and so that made me really happy to be able to connect Gin Blossoms, Meat Puppets, and Refreshments all together in in a way that yeah, I don't know. I just loved it so much. One more thing before we get to Robin Wilson. For me and for you, with our upbringing, and we've talked before about our sort of uh, rearing in like church music yeah. and that kind, of t- that kind of thing, CCM, we did an, a full episode on If You Like, You Might Like oh, yeah. songs and artists. Gin Blossoms has one of the ultimate CCM doppelgangers. If you like them, you'll like If you like Gin Blossoms, you might like Small Town Poets. There you go. That's good. That's, let me go to the first album by Small Town Poets, and let's just listen to exactly how Gin Blossoms <laughs> this album was. Got the tambourine. Tambourine. Small town poets, ladies and gentlemen. I just have always thought like the ultimate, uh, that's maybe the best example in CCM I've ever come across of like, wow. If you like, then you'll like. That is really, but you know what? I love small town poets. There you go. I I mean, it's true. Uh, What are you going to do? They write great songs. They were, you know, they were a good band. Um, okay. I think that's all I got. I'm exhausted on research. Let's kick it. All right. So here's what you need to do. You need to go online to any social media website and just type in at great song pod and you'll find us there. Um, Facebook, not any, but most of the big ones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're all there. You can join our Facebook group, great songs and the great people who love them greatly. 
Uh, and if you want to go the extra mile and be a Patreon subs- uh, subscriber and supporter, you can do that as well by going to patreon.com slash great song pod. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash great song pod. Uh, and if you want to support the show in that way, we can say thank you by giving you stuff like early access, weekly bonus episodes during the season, full blown bonus episodes that don't get hurt anywhere else. Um, and, uh, other stuff like that. So, uh, we, we enjoy, um, our patrons and connecting with everybody on socials, hit us up with ideas, requests, stuff. We missed stuff. We got wrong stuff. You liked anything, anything. Let us know who you want to hear on the show. Um, we just, we just love it all. We do, uh, giveaways and shenanigans. And, if you like you who, yeah, seriously, come on. I forgot about that already. That's got to happen. We need to retroactively. I mean, are you telling me? That in 2021, when, you know, when late 2021, when, uh, when Jim Blossoms get, gets back on the road, that a Yoohoo sponsorship, they would not just absolutely love. <laughs> I think we got to make this happen. It's, it's really, that's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Um, so that's going to do it for our part of this episode, but we're going to kick you over to Robin Wilson and finish the episode by speaking to Jim Blossoms, lead singer, songwriter, the voice that you know and you love, Robin Wilson. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Robin Wilson, the voice, the sound of uh, the Gin Blossoms. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real treat to have you on the show. It is my pleasure to be here. Good afternoon to you, gentlemen. Good afternoon. I I got to ask in in starting a, uh, to do some deeper research on Gin Blossoms. Um, I saw the term uh, Mill Avenue sound uh, referenced referenced in connection to. Arizona and like Southwestern bands like yourselves, the refreshments, uh, the meat puppets, uh, all of whom I dearly, dearly love. Um, and it, and it sort of connected some dots for me that, that had not previously been connected. Can you tell us about the quote unquote mill Avenue sound and the, the, the Tempe Arizona scene that's kind of formed all these amazing groups? Well, uh, I don't know if there ever was technically a mill Avenue sound, but uh, maybe, maybe there was, you know, I mean, there was like, at the same time we were getting started in the late eighties up in Seattle, you know, the, the bands kind of had a thing that they were sort of doing. You could see common DNA among, uh, groups like Mudhoney and Soundgarden and Nirvana, you know, I mean, they, they had the scene, uh, they called it grunge, right? Uh, you know, and so there's there's some similarity there, while nothing's exactly identical. Uh, I guess it was the same kind of thing on Mill Avenue. You know, we were we were bands that were uh, playing a sort of pop rock, uh, pop alternative rock in the maybe uh, strongly influenced by groups like uh, the replacements and rem and the smithereens and things like that and we were sort of coming up in in those bands wake and uh, yeah groups like us and the refreshments and the pistoleros we we had a a, a, a certain common musical dna which i guess you would call the Mill Avenue sound. Uh, one, um, so, yeah, yeah, one thing that I noticed, um, I, I saw an interview with you before. I guess your first live show was a Cheap Trick opening for Kiss. Um, and uh, I was just going to you guys 
bring the energy of the, uh, the live show like nobody that I've ever seen just in watching some live. Co- is that something that you attribute to early days of going to rock and roll shows like that? Or is that something that came natural? Or did you focus heavily on your live show? Or is that just a, a natural thing that, that comes for you guys? It was natural, but we were a live band. We were playing, you know, four to six nights a week, typically when we first got started. And we were just playing all the time, but it was a pretty high energy drunken show. I, I think our, our touchstone was a group like, uh, the, the replacements. Um, and then there was another band at the time, uh, out of new Orleans called dash rip rock. And they were this really <laughs> fun, really fun, uh, high energy, uh, thing. Uh, so, you know, we, we just we did what came naturally to us. We were having fun. It was it was genuinely fun for us to be on stage. And, you know, we were drinking a lot and making a big stink. So uh, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't anything we were uh, where we sat down and said, we need to have a really high energy show and you need to move around more or whatever. <laughs> it, it, it just came. It just happened, yeah. Yeah, I think one thing that I love that you do live is I think you play the tambourine live better than anybody that I've ever <laughs> seen. And I love the way you rest it on your arm when it's not being used. So props to you on that uh, as tambourine well, expert. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I put a, a good deal of uh, thought and effort into my tambourine playing when we first got started. <laughs> And it's it's something that I've always tried to uh, to perfect. And uh, I'm glad every once in a while I, someone like you says, uh, you know, that I that I do it really well. And I, I have to I have to give credit to uh, the cult, one of my all time favorite bands and their front man, Ian Asbury. Uh, they had a, they played a lot of tambourine in the cult. And it was specifically uh, a song by the cult called Wild Flower which is the first song on their album called Electric. And when I heard that song and the tambourine is just so prominent on the choruses and so powerful, I was probably about 20 years old. And I remember just being so blown away and, you know, I sort of made it my signature thing. Gin Blossoms have such a recognizable sound. You can hear the, the, you know, the first three bars of a track and go, that's got to be the Gin Blossoms. Even if you don't know necessarily the song, especially early on, you just go, that's, that's Gin Blossoms. What goes into making a band sound that is recognizable? You know, I've seen from interviews you talking about how you guys realized after a, you know, after a hiatus that there were just certain things that musically that you could only achieve together. How do you know when you've hit that sound and how do you maintain it, especially with multiple writers in the group and, and, you know, members coming in and out occasionally? That's a interesting question. You know, we, it was never anything we set out to do. It, it, it really just is a combination of the, the players in the band. Uh, the sound of Jesse and I singing together is, uh, is pretty key to it. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's nothing we were like, well, we got to have a different sound than anybody else. It just, it just sort of happened naturally. And you don't realize it until it's gone you know like when i started another band after when jim blossoms had broken up in 97 for five years i went off with my other band and despite the fact that i was the lead singer it really didn't sound like jim blossoms you know right it was was something different and so you, you begin to realize when it's no longer there 
that's when you realize that you had something unique and special that really can't be replicated any other way. I'm kind of uh, the gear nut. I like to, you know, know about uh, what instruments were played and whatnot. I saw your custom telly and your Strat and your home studio. You're one of the few musicians that I've talked to that prefers Fender acoustic guitars. Um, I don't hear many people that land on Fender as their acoustic of choice. How did you, was that like a sponsorship deal or how did you start playing Fender acoustics? It's a sponsorship deal. Yeah. Um, you know, we got a great relationship with the people at Fender. Their, their uh, artist relations guy, uh, Billy Siegel, is an old friend of Jim Blossom's and he used to sell us guitars when he worked at a guitar shop and he helped us build our original studio. And he was the first engineer at our studio. And uh, then I, he ended up getting this great job at artist relations for Fender. So we had an in from the moment that Fender moved their headquarters to Scottsdale, Arizona, they hired Billy and we were, we were like right at the front of the line for uh for artist relations so from that point on um you know i started i started playing fenders you know and uh all through the 2000s anytime i would need a guitar i would call billy and say you know what do you got and so it just it it wasn't something we set out to do immediately but it just we eventually by the mid 2000s we kind of landed on this uh, in this place where I was playing fenders and they were because they were giving them to me and uh, no, not really. And (laughs) you know, they, they take good care of me. I've got like five fender acoustics. And if, if I need another one, I'm fairly confident that, uh, that I could call them up and they'd send me one. So, um, and usually I can get them to, to send me like the best, one of the batch too so uh, you know i've got you know uh, my my bandmates have sometimes suggested well you should get a you know you should get a tailored deal or you should get a you know a deal with some other acoustic brand and i just shake them off like no these these are these are solid guitars and i've got this great relationship that i really enjoy so i'm just going to steer the course we like that we admire loyalty so thank you for that that's awesome you (laughs) stay with finn that's good Okay, so uh, so new miserable experience comes out, and it is—I I mean, it's more than an album; it's a phenomenon. It, it's one of those—it's one of those albums that you just couldn't escape, um, as I as I remember it. And I'm, that's like middle school for me. Um, so it, it was just one of those things that I judge—I judge how popular a song was in the mid '90s by how often I heard it on the bus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So, um, new miserable experience was one of those where, you know, listening back to it now, you go for, for just about any other band, this is a greatest hits album. You know, it's got, it's got that much on it that, that everyone just knows. So new that comes out, you guys take the, you know, take the nation and the world by storm and then, okay, a couple years down the road, now we have to make the follow up. What kind of pressure um, is there, you know, we hear about the, 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 the quote unquote sophomore slump, et cetera, et cetera. But what kind of pressure is there for you? And then from the studio to follow up an album as monumental as new miserable experience. Um, it's really the most intense pressure that you can, you can possibly put on a young band, uh, trying to follow up a multi-platinum debut. Uh, there's there's it's a really a a singular moment in a band's 
career and you're never under more pressure than you are uh, trying to follow up a, a multi-platinum debut. Because, you you know, for, for New Miserable Experience, we had a lifetime's worth of songs to, uh, to pick through, to choose. And there were plenty of really solid tunes that didn't make it onto the record. You know, we could have probably made a double album that that would have held up. And, uh, you know, so when it, then that's done, it's time to start from scratch and write a follow up. Um, it's it's a, a great deal of pressure, immense, like crushing <laughs> pressure. You know, uh, I was what, 20, uh, 28 years old or so when we had to start writing. Uh, uh, congratulations i'm sorry and you know we had we had lost doug hopkins he was no longer in the band and he was the strongest songwriter in the group and there were a lot of people that really felt that we wouldn't be able to pull it off without him so there was that additional pressure and you know we just we just went at it and you know we 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 made the record we thought it was done uh, we came home from Memphis and went back home to Tempe. And then the label called and said, nope, we need another hit single. And they were very clear that it needed to, we needed to write a hit single mm. and that the album was really not strong enough without another hit single. And so that was truly the moment where we were facing down all of our demons and all of the pressure of the, of the recording company contract and um anyway uh we wrote follow you down so you know you (laughs) well i will tell you you and jesse really stepped up uh and carried the weight from there and i know you enlisted the help with marshall crenshaw on uh until i hear it from you um which was fantastic for the for the movie empire records did you actually okay so you you worked at tower records right and then later at zia is that correct so you had yes and then i i also worked at a place called rockaway records in uh, mesa arizona so that's all i did through the 80s um was work at record stores um and before that i worked at an arcade so my 80s my 80s experience is like a John Hughes movie. You know, really, <laughs> That's great. That's it was great. just, it, it, was, it was so very, very 80s. And, uh, you know, I, I loved being around the record stores and the uh, eccentric cast of characters and people that work there, being exposed to so much music. You know, I, I came in, I started working at Tower in 1983, and I was, you know, relatively open-minded, but there was a lot of different types of music that I didn't know much about. And a lot of underground and alternative music that I wasn't really aware of. And, you know, it only takes a couple of years of working at the record store to really expand your, uh, you know, your baseline of, of different types of music. And so by time, you know, I was in Jim Blossoms by 88 or so, I, I think I was a very well-rounded a uh, rock and roll fan. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, you know, I had co- I had records in my collection that were folk or bluegrass classical and plenty of metal and new wave and alternative and uh, you know, it was a really great time too. The 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 80s was an amazing time for music and especially right around 87 88 there was so much amazing things happening like 
Guns and Roses and the Pixies and Jane's Addiction and all of this exciting, just mind blowing new music coming out. Um, it was a really exciting time, and you could really see uh, the the change that was that was happening. Well, so sticking with movies for a second, uh, you guys played Wayne Stock. Um, <laughs> tell us about being yeah. part of the the fictional festival at the end of Wayne's World too. Oh man, that was that was a long day. We we were on set for an entire day, and all we did was film us getting out of that pacer limo, like. <laughs> five times and that was it and we were there for probably 10 hours just wow like you know 10 seconds worth of of footage but uh my my favorite part about the day other than you know hanging out for a few minutes with mike myers um was hanging out with nash cato from urge overkill oh they they i loved that band and i was a big fan and nash and i really hit it off and we we spent most of the day uh, just kind of chilling out and having a good time. That's cool. I, I know we touched earlier on the uh, on the New Miserable Experience album. When you when somebody says that, which album cover do you picture in your mind? Because the one that I that I think that most people know is the newer one with the van. You know the picture of that, but that was the actual second album cover. When somebody mentions the album, what immediately pops in your head? Is it that cover or is it the original? Yeah, it's definitely the van because that's the cover that I had wanted all along. Okay. The, the the original cover was forced on us by the label, and we didn't like it. And I remember calling the label. Uh, they did such a crappy job of putting this <laughs> this cover together. Yeah. What we what we explained to them we wanted was like the grill of our van all covered in bugs. That was what we wanted for the <laughs> album cover. Yeah. And what they did is they took a radiator out of a car, covered it put a few fake bugs on it and then took photographs of it out in the desert with like cactus and stuff around. And so it actually looks like the radiator actually looks like it's supposed to be a cactus. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it looks more like I a just, Western album than a, uh, than a gin blossoms album. Like it, the, I right, get, the, the van is classic with y'all's reflection in the mirror. It's brilliant. I love it. So the, yeah, that's, glass. that's what I had wanted all along. So I, I remember I called our, a product manager at the label and i said listen we don't like the cover and she's like oh well it's kind of already done and i'm like well we don't really like it we need to we need to redo it and she's like oh well we really well no we, we're not going to do that we we need you to just agree to this and i'm like no we we really don't like this album cover and she's like well you don't really understand marketing and i was like oh, i was like you you know like i am a rock and roller that's what i do i have been i I worked at tower records (laughs) yeah i I, i've been staring at album covers since i was a kid i have been dreaming about designing album covers since i was a kid i have worked in the music retail industry i am you know the front man of this band i have something to say about the cover and when she, when she told me, well, you really don't understand marketing, I was just, I was so pissed off. And I, <laughs> I said to her, so you're telling me that we've worked our whole life to make this album and it's going to come out with a cover that we hate and there's nothing we can do about it. And she's like, yeah, I wish you would just see it our way. <laughs> and I was just like, F- you. And I hung up. 
And then eight months later, the album was taking off and someone at the label obviously realized that the cover didn't look like a multi-platinum album. And so we, we got a call saying, well, we're going to redo the cover. And I, once again, I said, well, you, you forced (laughs) this on us. We're used to it now let's just stick with it. And they're like, no, we want to redo it. And so I said, well, if, if we're going to redo it, you're going to listen to me this time. You're going to do what I ask and I'm going to design it. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you the photographs and I'm going to do the layout. And I actually hand wrote all the lyrics uh, for the, for the packaging. And I oversaw every square centimeter of, of the redesign. And I was I was really proud of how that came out. And That's to know that there are several million copies of it out there and that it you know it's it's a somewhat of a memorable image for a, a lot of people is, is very gratifying. So I'm looking at the inside liner notes. So now I know that is your handwriting. That is your actual handwriting. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Well, I can speak for most of the world when I say thank you for coming up with this album cover. It's so much better. (laughs) And it's also how I uh, remember this album. Yeah. Well, well, great. Thank you. Yeah. Those photographs were all pictures that I took. Um, Most of them were taken when we were out on tour with Toad the Wet Sprocket in the fall of 92. And uh, we, you know, I, I was a, I was a photography a buff at the time and so i traveled with my my camera and of course this was in the days where you would take a picture and then you wouldn't get to see the picture till months yeah. later yeah. unless you went to the hour photo which you don't, nobody does that right, <laughs> right. and we, we really couldn't do that out on tour you know i'd get back I, i'd get done at the end of a tour and i'd have uh, you know a dozen or so rolls of film that i needed to uh, have developed and so i I went through, poured through all of those and assembled the package from there. So. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, that's not, not, for anybody who's listening, JP's holding it in his hand and I had him extend the whole thing out. <laughs> that's a 12 panel insert. That's, it's yeah. six front and back, you know, pages. Do you, do you lament the loss of that kind of packaging for albums where, you know, everything is digital now? You barely know who played on what, who produced, because everything is, you know, everything's Spotify and, and Apple Music and whatnot? Or do you just go, you know, that's just sort of what the industry did? Well, it, it, I lament it a little bit, you know. It's, it's not the biggest deal, but it, it was something that was cool about uh, growing up when I did, you know, that, that we had album covers. A lot of them had, like, novelty features and... Uh, you know, they were big and colorful and a physical thing that you could hold in your hand. And it felt like you were connected physically to to the music and to the band. And, uh, you know, that was something that was uh, super cool about those days. And, you know, now you you design a package, but pretty much it ends up getting reduced to just the front cover image as a thumbnail on your phone. And there, there's, there's just no way, there's no real comparison uh, to, you know, a 12 inch album that you, that you hold and you get to open up and pull out the lyrics. And sometimes they would come with, certainly if it was a Kiss record, you know, there'd be stickers or, yeah. you know, some other kind of stuff in a, there. A guitar pick. Yeah, a poster. Yeah, something you know, like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're uh, right. I'm a big we're a big uh, I'm a big collector of vinyls and CDs and everything. So I try to bring those, and I I, I like that. Two quick questions. We'll we will respect your time. You've been so kind. Thank you so much. Uh, but one or one or two real quick ones. One that we ask everybody. I did just want to clarify on follow you down from the How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, which is one of my wife's favorite movies. So when I told her that I was talking with you, she's like, Oh yeah, from How to Lose a Guy in <laughs> Ten Days. Um, you play harmonica on that, right? That's you on harmonica well, as well. No, that was Jesse in the studio. Okay, that actually. was Jesse in the studio. Jesse, Jesse played the harmonica on the record, and then I had to learn the harmonica part. I'm not a harmonica player, but I had to learn it in time to perform that song on Saturday Night Live. Okay, because because oh. when you do it live, you play it, and I was like, I wonder if that's if he that's I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. So the the first time I ever played harmonica live in front of an audience it was at saturday night live oh wow, wow. okay don't uh, don't drop the ball there that's awesome no no, deal. no please don't please don't <laughs> this up please don't, will ferrell is right there you know uh, just yeah, don't I, this up <laughs> the uh one one last and then the one that we ask everybody the del montes right that was your fake group that you would play at am i correct on that well, yeah, we were the Del Montes at this one particular club in, in Tempe, this little dive bar called Long Longs that was right on Mill Avenue and was sort of the central hub of the of the Tempe scene. And we were the house band there every Tuesday. And uh, anytime we played at Long Longs specifically, we we played as the Del Montes. And so any advertising in the in the New Times or whatever it was always said the Del Montes, but that was only uh, at long longs and, and that, we we had made up this uh, sort of mythology behind the del montes with that we were all half brothers we all had the same mother <laughs> I love that but we all yes. we all had different fathers that's so we, amazing we, we gave ourselves names that were reflective of who our father was so i love my, that that's great my name was biff del monte because my dad <laughs> apparently was some sort of a Ivy League professor uh, that my mom had slept with. And so uh, I ended up choosing uh, Biff Del Monte. And whenever I would do acoustic performances in Tempe, I would, uh, I would perform under the, under the name of uh, the Biff Del Monte Explosion. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, Biff, you have been fantastic. And thank you for your time. Um, one question that we ask everybody, and then we'll let you uh, enjoy your enjoy your day. So you're on tour either with Jen Blossoms or uh, Robin the Last Rites or Del Monte's. Yeah. You're going out as Biff, whatever. You're on tour. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of yours, I'll tell you what mine is. I get a Three Musketeers bar because uh, when I was growing up, my mom said you could have any candy bar you want, and it's the most ounces, and they're all about the same price. So what is your uh, gas station snack food of choice? Well, you know, actually, Bill, our bass player, Bill Lean, and I used to joke a lot about um, when we were at the truck stops, uh, we'd be, we would go and get JoJo's, which are like those big potato wedges. Okay. Oh, oh man, so, that's a good and, one. That's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. So Bill, Bill, and I, we would always be like, uh, you know, one of us would go into the, you know, come back to the van and go, "Hey, Robin, uh, they've got JoJo's, you know, or whatever." <laughs> uh, but honestly, my my go to snack in those days was uh, a bag of Munchos and a Doctor Nut. Munchos. Doctor Nut. Wait, what, what, on, wait, wait, pause, wait. What is Doctor Nut? Is that like Doctor <laughs> Pepper? It's just a yeah. Yeah, it was a, a Dr. Pepper, but you could only get it in certain parts of the South. 
I have and, never uh, heard of that. And I'm a Dr. Pepper like aficionado. I have yeah. random cans yeah. of Dr. Pepper. And I've never heard of Dr. Nut. Yeah. When I was a kid, I spent all my summers in, uh, in Louisiana with my mom. And Dr. Nut was a popular drink uh, in Louisiana at the time. And so you know, we didn't have it in Arizona. And so when I first started touring the country, anytime I would see Dr. Nut, I'd be like, oh, God, I got to, you know, I got to get a Dr. Nut. Wow. Do, do they still make it? Because I'm going I'm to search that out. I really don't know. I wouldn't, wow. I wouldn't know. I, haven't, I certainly haven't seen it in a, in a long, long time. It's like RC Cola. You know, it's pretty rare. Oh, man, I I'm love gonna, RC. I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm going to see if I can find it without having to do a Google search for it because I'm afraid if I Google search Dr. Nut, I'm not going to get what I'm looking for. <laughs> Uh, but uh, man, what a different answer! Potato wedges, munchos, yeah, and doctor and like Dr. nobody eats y- munchos. You, you win the creativity answer for that. We've got some good ones, thank but you. for somebody in the states, you, you bring it on home. Yeah. Um, and I, we thank you so much, uh, Robin, for your time. Uh, huge thanks to Hillary for hooking us up. She's been great to work with. Tell her thanks. All right, um, I will. And uh, before we get off, anything that you want to pitch to any to our listeners out there? Anything that you have going on that you want to tell our listeners about, or where to find you, or well, just to, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into what's happening on the Jim Blossom's official YouTube channel. Okay. I produced a number of videos for our last record. I've been doing these live stream concerts. All of those are up there. Uh, my, my side project, the pop and wheelies, I made some videos for that. And, uh, the, the last rights video for pet cemetery is up there. So, you know, just if, we don't get a lot of views. It's aggravating to me because, you know, I, I watch a lot of YouTube and, you know, you'll be looking through YouTube and it'll be like uh, some random teenager drum cover of Metallica <laughs> and her Sandman, you know, quarter of a million views or something. And I'm just like, what the, what the, <laughs> you know, I worked my <laughs> off on original songs and, you know, I, I've only got 30,000 views for this video that I worked so hard on. So, you know, I, I would hope if people have some interest in uh, exploring all things Gin Blossoms, take a look at our official YouTube channel. Well, Pet Cemetery, Fantastic. you planned brilliantly putting around the Halloween season, and the video is, is very well done. So I will second that okay. everybody is, should definitely go check it out and, and check you out for me. Cool. Thank you all so right. much, Robin. You've been so kind. Hope you had a good time. Hey, appreciate you. My pleasure. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, nice chatting with you, and uh, anything I can do, let me know. All right. Rock and roll. Thanks, Same here. Thank you. All right. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Robin Wilson of the Gin Blossoms wrapping up 90s Man, madness. Man, has been so fun. And oh, next week, it's a landmark. Oh, it is. Oh. I can't believe we've done this. Uh, we've, we're hitting a, a landmark number, guys, and y'all will hear about it uh, soon. That's right. We gotta. It's going to be a fun episode. And one of those uh, people that we uh, get to talk to that we just can't believe we got to talk to. We do these on, we did it on 50. We did it on, we did it on 50 with Phil Grande yeah. of Joe Cocker. Yeah. We did it on 100 with Dave Barnes. That's right. And 150, guys, this is a fun one for us. Yeah. This is a JP and Rob episode. That's right. These milestone episodes are for us. Yep. We do these for our own enjoyment. And so next week, you know what? We don't even care if you like the band. <laughs> we don't even care if but you if, like the music. If you don't but know them, if you don't know them, you're going to learn everything that you want to know about them. That's right. The way we're going to do, you're going to have, you're going to run the gamut with That's them. That's right. With we're going to hook and you the up. Yeah. So we'll so we'll give we'll you all that you need to know next week for episode 150 of the Great Song Podcast. Until then, I'm Rob. And I'm JP. Go listen to some music.